this week on the Back Table Podcast. You know, the, the, the trick is seeing your needle the whole way. And sometimes I see a lot of, you know, trainees who will start, start the needle and advance it, advance it, and then they'll look for it. If you don't see it all the way in, it's, it's going to be hard to find later on. So that being said, once you have your, your needle in the, in the you know, retroperitoneal fat and you can see the kidney, you can see your target at that point, it's important to go very definitively because in the next time the t- patient takes a breath, the, that posterior lower pole calyx, which is hopefully dilated, will move and then you can't see it. So you, if you can see it and you can see your needle, then it should be one definitive move through the cortex and into the, into the calyx. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast, your source for all things IR and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and backtable.com. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. David Field from MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RADPAD. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your floral guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information. Contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And let them know you heard about it on the Backtable podcast. So David and I go way back. We yes. Leave- yes. <laughs> <laughs> way, way back. Way, way back. We did a residency together at Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia. And, you know, we've been friends, I would say, since day one, wouldn't you yeah, say? Absolutely. That's right. That was, what was that? Long, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, probably the last time I played golf, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, me too. Because then we both had kids. Right. Yes. Before we both had kids, we we had kids six months apart from one another. Yep. And so very good friends to to my wife and I. And David went on to, to do his fellowship at Georgetown. I went on to do my fellowship. And um, you know, I'll and let you. Anymore. Yes. And and I'll, I'll let you introduce. You, know, you give us a little bit of background of, about where you are with your practice, David. Right. So I have been at Georgetown since 2014. And I've sort of grown to love the, all those sort of urinary involved procedures. So Perknef's prostate embolization, we do uh, renal cryoablation as well. Uh, so I've sort of found that to be where I like to spend most of my time. But of course we do uh, a very broad scope of things at, at Georgetown and including a lot of intermissional oncology, which I don't personally do, but we, we do quite a lot of. So it's a very broad practice and a lot of UFIs uh, as well. Dr. Dr. Spies is of course one of the you know, forefathers of, of the UC. So we do a lot of those there as well. Okay. So it's interesting. So you guys kind of have little subspecialties w- amongst the department. Yeah. We each, each of us uh, have our, our little, little niche. One of my partners likes to do all the, uh, the Venus work. Uh, some people like to do the, the uterine artery, Dr. Spies and Dr. Caridi, who just left, but, and then a couple of stuff. One of my partners, Emmett Linsky, does a, a whole bunch of portal venous hypertension work. So he does he does more tips in a in a week, I think, than than we we did maybe in a in a whole year at, when we were fellows. So he's really grown that we can't work fellows together. So he's really grown that practice a great deal. So, oh but yeah, wow. we, each, we each have our own little own little niche. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's Im- that's impressive. And and for th- any uh, listeners who uh, are interested, we did have Alex Kim on a couple of months back to talk about 
his uh, interventional oncology practice. And we mm-hmm. also had uh, Sahir Sabri come on to talk about endoleak treatments. So That's also nice. some great episodes. So anyway, let's dive into the topic today. We want to talk about placement of uh, nephrostomy catheters. And, and just for, you know, we have a lot of trainee listeners. Can you talk through just the placement of a, you know, a regular nephew tube, most common indications? And let's just start there with, with most common indications and sort of where are those referrals coming from? Sure. I mean, you know, the, the, the absolute most common indication is, is urinary obstruction, of course, whether that's from a, from a stone or from a tumor, you know, it doesn't really uh, make a, a whole lot of difference for the fact that there is hydronephrosis. So most of these come from uh, either urologists who have tried to place a stent from below and were un- unsuccessful, or from uh, oncologists whose patients develop hydronephrosis, or um, or some of them come from you know you know from the ER with with urology sort of on board as well for obstructing stones, and and obviously with with a great deal of, of variety in terms of urgency and the and the, and the septic patient with an obstructing uh, urinary stone, then it, it's you know an emergency, and with a patient who has a hydronephrosis that has gotten slowly worse because of a obstructing pelvic tumor, it's not quite. Not Quite so urgent, but in, 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 when it comes down to it, it's, it's you know, basically the same same procedure. So most of those uh, referrals coming from urology and maybe maybe even like the ER GYN. Yep. Yeah. Not not a not a lot from from GYN. Some from gynoc, but so you're, mostly urology is, is probably the, you know, the most yeah. common referral. And and it's certainly where we where we are, are you know we're pretty good about you know taking patients in the middle of the night, if they have a, you know, a stone that they they try to get passed from below. I mean, they're, I don't, I don't think they, they dump patients on us. So. Right. So when you get that referral, is it usually a phone call straight from the urologist or, or will they have the ER call you? It, it's probably a mix of, you know, 50, 50, the, usually the urology resident will call our resident. Gotcha. Because they've already seen the patient, worked them up, determined. They've already seen the patient. They they know why or why not. Either either they've already tried and they can't get get up from below, or they know why they can't, or the patient is so sick that they can't tolerate uh, more you know, general anesthesia. Sure. Okay. Well, so just before we dive into the more advanced technique, I did want to quickly walk through, you know, the placement of a just a very straightforward dilated collecting system neph tube. Let us, you know, kind of maybe talk a little bit about, you know, single stick versus double stick technique and, and what you prefer. I, I definitely prefer a single stick, but, you know, I, I, I think to sum it up, I remember being certainly as a resident, a little bit intimidated by him, you know, Perk Neff, not really quite sure why, but, you know, when it comes down to it, it's really just a drain. The, the, the trick is that the target is often a little smaller than it would be for a, it's like an abscess drain, for example. And it, it also is moving. It's a moving target because the patient is breathing, obviously, we or hopefully. Um, and then that makes, and so the, when the kidney's moving, it can, it can be harder to, harder to stick. So we do these really under, for a dilated system under ultrasound guidance, you know, 99% of the time. And, and I think it's very important to scan the patient in the room before the patient is prepped. A lot, a lot of times, you know, techs will like to get their patient prepped and then you're, you, you know, they're, you're left with a, with a window there that is really of their choosing. So I really try to ultrasound the patient ahead of time and have a very good idea of the pathway and a very good idea of where we're going to stick on the skin before or proceeding. Certainly looking at, you know, prior imaging and almost all these patients have, have CTs ahead of time, even if it's non-com, that's fine. But you, you get, you, it's, it's very important to know where the colon is, obviously 
how much, how far you're going to have to get to into the kidney, what the angle is, where the, where the kidney is, is related to the, you know, where the, where the, where the ribs are and having that in your head before you even scan the patient is, is important. So. Right. Um, and, and, and so, we'll, yeah, we'll walk through, you know, the potential pitfalls and complications a little bit later, but, um, do you, so with the, the, the sort of pre-prep imaging, do, are you marking exactly where you think you're going to go in? Yes. Before yes. they prep it out? Before they prep. I will, you know, mark on the skin where I intend to start the, the needle and I will, I will mark off where the, I intend to put the probe so that they know where I need space. Cause it's nothing's more annoying than, than needing to ultrasound where there is a drape because you can't see through the drape and it's, you need a, a pretty, pretty big, big window in your, in, in, in the draping. So I will let them know where I'm sticking, where the probe's going to be. And so that it doesn't come back to, you know, bite you later. Okay. And so the patient, so, so you mark your spot, they prep it, everything's ready. You walk in, put your gloves on your drape. And so kind of walk through what equipment you're using, what's on your back table and, uh, you know, how you get the drain in from there. Sure. Um, you know, we, we make sure we use the, you know, a good high quality ultrasound, obviously first, like, you know, the, the diagnostic, uh, you know, uh, ultrasound machine, not a, you know, one that we'd use for say, just like easy basket or access. But I, I like to use the, uh, in rad needles for this typically use their like 21 gauge in rad and the in rad needle has the scored stylet that is scoring over the last couple centimeters so that it makes it very, very easy to see under, under ultrasound. Certainly, you know, if the patient is, is large, some people just don't image very well. If the, it, it can be very easy to, to lose the tip of a needle in, in the retroperitoneal fat and uh, using the NRAD needle is a, is a, is a huge help. So the, you know, the, the, the trick is seeing your needle the whole way. And sometimes I see a lot of, you know, trainees who will start, start the needle and advance it, advance it, and then they'll look for it. If you don't see it all the way in, it's, it's going to be hard to find later on. So. That being said, once you have your, your needle in the, in the you know, retroperitoneal fat and you can see the kidney, you can see your target at that point, it's important to go very definitively because in the next time the patient takes a breath, the, that posterior lower pole calyx, which is hopefully dilated, will move and then you can't see it. So you, if you can see it and you can see your needle, then it should be one definitive move through the cortex and into the, and into the, into the calyx. So. You know, so we, we always do these from, from posterior inferior, uh, or almost always. And then, and then, you know, once, once you can visualize the tip of your needle in the, in the, in the calyx, I will take the stylet out. And if I get urine back, I don't inject at that point, the, I, I put the wire in under fluoro. And if the, if the wire goes down, what can only be the, the ureter, I don't in, inject at that point. Because certainly if the patient's infected, you don't want to overpressurize the system or and it, 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 there's really nowhere else the wire can be going, right? So, uh, and then I usually use an 018 Nitrex wire or, or the, the 018 wire that comes in the AccuStick set. But I think the 018 Nitrex is just a little bit, a little bit better. And I try to get, I try to get it down the order before I dilate up with the, with the AccuStick. Sometimes it won't go, but at least make sure you have enough stip wire in the, in the renal pelvis uh, so you can upsize. So and real quick, but yeah. before you, before you upsize for our trainees, what's the danger of overpressurizing, you know, oh, that you know, temptation to inject contrast. Right. If patient is infected and then you, in, you inject to 
um, you know, overpressurize the system, you can, you can cause, uh, you know, great deal of bacteremia and, and sepsis and uh, the patient can start rugging right in front of your, right in front of your eyes. Right. Go from, right. from bad to worse very, very quickly. So. Which we've um, probably all seen before. Yes, you've done yes. at least a few Neftubes, you've, yeah. you've seen that happen. That and, uh, or, or with, uh, you know, biliary, uh, biliary drains right. as well. Obviously. I think, yeah. I think it happens a little more often with biliary drains in my, in my experience, but right. So. So I didn't mean to sidetrack you. So oh, no, yeah, no. now you're, you're a dilating. Right. So you under fluoro, get the AccuStick set in, keeping the wire very straight. And certainly the AccuStick set that we have, the, there's a radiopaque marker on it. The, the tip of the set actually sticks out a little farther. So if you over advance it, it can, you know, it can make, make the turn, make, it can make making the turn a little bit difficult. So just got to make sure you get the metal part through the renal cortex before teeing off the first uh, tee off and then get the final tee off into the renal pelvis. Uh, and then at that point, take everything out and you should get a, you should get copious urine back. Uh, that will always inject at that time, you, you know, just enough to prove that the action set is in the, is in the renal, renal pelvis. So, and that you, we can, you can get a good idea of your course through the, through the renal parenchyma. So. Yeah. Do you guys collect samples of the urine and send that off ever? Um, absolutely. Often. I will, I will almost always do it, especially if the patient is obstructed and infected. No, it definitely. The, you know, the sort of the flip side of not overpressurizing the system is if you, if you decompress the system, then it's hard to, <laughs> hard to work in, right? So you, if you want to leave enough, enough hydro is that you can get your wire in and get your tube in behind it. So I will either send a sample if, if it's really, really dilated, I'll send a sample once we get the, the acoustic set in, or you can also just send it off, off the tube after you get that tube in. True. So, yeah. so real quick, and we'll talk about, you know, a lot of times that urine can be a little bit blood tinged, right? Because of all yeah. the manipulation, I guess for, for the new IR or the trainee, that was one thing that was kind of hard to get used to is like, is what's, how much blood is worrisome, you know? Yeah, right. Right. It, it takes a very little bit of blood to make urine look pretty red. So right. you know, Kool-Aid is absolutely fine. If it is frank blood, it's, it's a, it's a problem. And of course, it's, you know, if it's pulse style, it's also <laughs> right. not, not, not the best, but if you getting a, if you, if you, if you get your tube in and it's just a venous bleed, it'll probably tamponade. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you've made a, you know, one stick with a 21 gauge needle, uh, the chances of really uh, having a significant bleed are, are pretty low. Right, right. Um, all right, well, great. Yeah, and so and then you take your picture, right? You always right, look yeah, at well, you, you the acoustic second and decide to make sure that you are in the renal pelvis. And at that point, then you have to get your wire in. And I, we just use an Amplatz wire, a short Amplatz. And once you're got, you know, the floppy you know, coiled in the renal pelvis, then it's just a matter of dilating. And then we, we put, just put in usually an eight and a half French, a cloak multipurpose. Okay. Drain. Do you so, ever put, if it's like Frank Puss, do you ever upsize? Uh, yeah. Sometimes we'll go to 10. Sure. Um, but of course, every time you, you know, you, you dilate and, and you're, you know, take out the dialer, put in the, the next dilator, you, you're also going to expose the bloodstream to the pus there, uh, right? right? So that's a little more manipulation and just, a, it just depends. So it's also, it's also it's always, it's easy to upsize later. Right. Uh, so, but I, I wouldn't, wouldn't really go past 10.2 French. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Okay. So that's a great walkthrough. I, let's take a step back real quick in terms of, uh, and this applies to both basic and, you know, a more advanced technique that we're going to talk about here in a little bit is, is approaching these patients in turn. You already talked a little bit about pre-procedure imaging, but yeah. what lab, what labs are essential coags? And then what are you doing for yeah. antibiotics? We used to give Cipro. That's, you know, not the, not the greatest anymore. So we've been giving ceftriaxone, you know, immediately pre-procedurally these, these days, which has been working, working well, but yeah, obviously need to know if they're, you know, recent coags. And I think the latest SIR guidelines suggest that, you know, an IR of 1.8 or lower is fine. So above that, we would correct with FFP or whatever needs to be corrected. And, and platelets 50 or, or higher is fine. What about a patient who's been on like aspirin? Uh, baby aspirin. Don't care, but certainly a, a 325 aspirin or Plavix or any of the platelet inhibitors optimally would be a five day hold. But obviously if the patient is infected, you can't yeah. wait, wait that long. So you have to balance, you know, the, the emergent nature of the, of the, right. the with, with how sick patient. they are. Exactly. Exactly. So. Gotcha. Okay. Um, um, you know, I also wanted to say, you know, if, if you make a stick with your 21 gauge needle and you, you're not in the, and you think you're in, but you're not, the tendency is to inject a lot of contrast. I think, you know, a lot of, I've seen a lot of trainees who will, you know, inject some, it's not a calyx, you know, I certainly, you know, did this a lot. You're like, well, maybe it is, maybe I'll inject some more, maybe it'll look like a calyx or, right. you know, you, and it's fine to sort of, you know, pump your needle back very gently, but if you inject a lot of contrast, trying to, you know, show that you're in and you're, and you're really not, it's just going to make things harder for you down the road because there's invariably a little bit of air in with the contrast. So it's going to make ultrasound very hard. Fluoroscopically, it's going to obscure things. So I think it, it, it's important to, if you're not in, just to go back to ultrasound, try it again, and, and, and not inject too much contrast into the perinephric space. Yeah. I think that's really good advice because I've seen it just look like you know, a bomb went off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially, especially with the non-descended collective system, which we're, we're about to get to, but oh yeah, where, you know, you, like you said, there's a big stone in there and you start injecting contrast and then you have right. no idea where you're going. Right. You can, and then later on you can be in, you can be injected, but you won't be able to see it. So. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, this is kind of uh, a technique that, that you've, I, I guess, worked on over the last several years in, ter in terms of, you know, getting good success at getting into a non-descended collected system. Cause I, I've myself and I've seen others struggle and struggle and struggle. And, you know, before you know it, you have like two hours on, you know, and like yeah. an hour of fluoro time right. and you're still right. not in and right. you're like, what do I do? You know, yeah, cause you, yeah. you're like, do I keep going? Or, you know, you know, you've got a whole list of, of procedures to follow and you're already behind. And you're like, when do I call it quits? Like, and and so, yeah. So I'm hoping that you can help some of us out there who struggle with that and to try and prevent that with some, some technique. And so first of all, though, tell us some common scenarios where a non-distended collecting system needs enough to. Right. Sure. So uh, the patients that we do the most on are patients who have, you know, staghorn calculi who are needing percutaneous access for stone removal by urology. But also quite commonly and probably increasingly commonly are, are patients who need complete urinary diversion. Patients who have had like corneas gangrene and are have, you know, leakage, leakage from a, a sort of a 
like damaged urethra. Patients who have a pelvic malignancy and who have a vesicovaginal fistula that just will never heal because they just can keep uh, leaking urine through it. Patients who have had pelvic radiation because of a tumor and have radiation cystitis and have, you know, just continuing hematuria. So all of these patients are, we need urinary diversion and, and often we will get asked to do that. And it's really almost never a, an emergency. It's just, these are uh, kind of, you know, chronic problems that just need, need to be, need to be fixed. So. Right. So it's usually preoperative or perioperative having maybe something to do with, or related to a tumor, I guess. Yeah. Or, or, or just okay. patients who are, who are, whose quality of life is, is such that they just have their perineum is continually bathed in urine and it's just right. oh, God, yeah. down and, or they're just, you know, they, they're, they have such bad bleeding from their, from their bladder, you know, some of these patients have bladder tumors. So the urokinase in, in urine just makes them, makes them continually bleed. And it's not, it's never bleeding enough that they are unstable, but these patients need uh, continual transfusion just to maintain their, maintain their blood loss. So if you can remove, oh, wow. you know, move, remove the urine bathing the, the tumor and, you know, that often will help it, help it stop. So. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But of course these patients have completely non-dilated systems and that, that makes it very hard to get into. Right. Uh, so yeah. let's, let's talk about that. What's, how do you approach these guys? So the way to get in, in them more easily is to make them a easier to see and be bigger. So at Georgetown, we have a Philips system that has a guidance software package attached to it. Oh, they're like expert guide CT. And we basically can do a on-table Dyna CT. And then the, the cone beam CT image that we, that, that is generated allows you to pick a target calyx and the entry point on the skin. And you thereby know that there's nothing in between the skin and, and the calyx. And it will create the exact fluoroscopic angle uh, under which to stick the, stick the system. So once you, once you've selected your target and your, uh, your skin entry, a, the, 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 uh, C arm goes to a specific uh, position. And then on the fluoro screen, there is a target where you start your needle and then under fluoro, you just advance it straight down along the, along the beam. Uh, and then about halfway through the machine will rotate to the other 90 degree, uh, angle. And then you can follow your needle to the target. Does that make sense? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, but are you just going, so are you trying to stick right down to the stone? Is that what you're trying to do? Right. We, we, well, we pick the target. If it's a stone, then, um, it's, it's an easy target, right? But if it's a yeah. non-dilated system for, you know, for urinary diversion, I will give the patient IV contrast and they usually give them about 90 milliliters. If it's, if it's a unilateral, if it's bilateral, I will usually give about 75 on one side and then have to give some more on the second side. But if you give the uh, patient the IV contrast with a 10, uh, 10 milligram chaser of Lasix, the system will, will plump up like right under your eyes. So yeah. as long as the patient is ready to go, then you can give the IV contrast, give the Lasix, and then you do your, your Dyna CT and you will see the calyx light up and and plump up because with, with the LASIK, so you actually have a much better target. 
I see. I gotcha. So they're so they're already prepped and draped, and then you give oh, yeah. the right. lace. You give you give the IV contrast. Yep. Give the Lasix, and then do your how do you late do you wait before, how long do you wait usually before you do your cone beam CT? I usually wait about five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. Yeah. But but during that five minutes, intermittently fluoro, and if you start to see the the calyx appear under fluoro, and then you go ahead and do it. You go. Yeah. And then are you working on like a timer? Like do you, are you kind of pressed for time after that? Because not, no, not in that instance, because once you've done the dynasty CT, you have your target. I see. That you, you can define your target based on the image you get from that, from that on, you know, fluoroscopic CT. And even if the, the, you know, the calyx becomes, you know, even if the contrast empties out of the calyx later, it, you, you can still use it as a target because you just you just you're just asking the computer to define that target for you. I see. Wait, and if the patient moves, does that matter? Like if there's, well, yeah, the, yeah. If the patient if the patient moves, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a hassle. We will often do these with um, anesthesia, and sometimes with you know the patient's prone, so they always like to tube the patient, so they they can do apnea, they can do breath holds. It actually makes uh, the pressure much easier. So we do the breath hold right before the before the dynacet. They're they're motionless. And then as you move the needle, you also ask, you know, the anesthesiologist for, for apnea and that makes it much, much easier. Okay. Yeah. All so. right. So, yeah. So those are great tips for basically, and then are you using ultrasound at all in those cases? In those cases, often not. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's just pure, it's pure it's, CT and fluoro. Exactly. I will often ultrasound ahead of time. Just to get an, an just a, more information about you know where the kidney is really anything, but no, or or to give a specific you know, sort of a general area to be prepped, but often just the fluoroscopic guidance that is to, you know provided by the by that Philips system. Gotcha. Uh, this is the same. I know that when Dr. Kim was on your uh, you know the podcast a, a few weeks ago, he talked about doing you know angio ablation. And this is the same system that he uses uh, for guidance for the ablation probe into the liver. Sure. So it's the um, same, same system. Gotcha. So yeah, ideal for just basically direct, helping to direct your needle exactly where it needs to go. Uh, right. Without, right. without any guesswork, basically. It was exactly. Like. You, there's, there's no guesswork. You know where you're going to end up. You know where you're going to start. And you, will, and you know that there is nothing in the, you know, in the way, right? In the way, right. No colon <laughs> in the way. Yeah, exactly. And you can, you know, if you think that there's, you know, throw in the way, you can just bring your, your skin entry point more interiorly. The, the tricky part is just following the, following the, 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 the dotted line, basically that the, that the software produces under flora. I see. Uh, you know, it's, you grab, we grab the, you still use an in-rad needle just because uh, that's what we use, but we, you know, we drive it with a, a hemostat under fluorum. Uh, and that's really the only difficult part is, is staying along that, along the, the path that the, that the software has determined. Okay. And so are there any pitfalls to deal with? Like, you know, where, you know, you obviously want to keep an eye on your angle, could be aware of like the pathway that the tube needs to make. Even though it might be the shortest pathway, the angle might not might not be right. Can you speak to to that a little bit? Right. The, well, I think that comes mostly. I think that's mostly important when you're doing access for a urologist who wants to do, you know, stone removal, either you know the next day or the same day, because they like to come really in a very direct path from the skin to the kidney, 
Whereas under, you know, if you're doing something under ultrasound, the, your tendency is to have a, a little bit of an inferior to superior angle on your needle. So the, when you're doing it for a urologist, you, you want to think about how they uh, want to be looking at the, at the kidney when they do the, the stone removal and, right. and, and do, and try to come in and, and is, is the, in a direct as possible path. Gotcha. That yeah. makes sense. And so we, we already talked a little bit about bleeding and we talked a little bit about, you know, avoiding crossing the pleura. What, what happens if you do cross the pleura? Have you had that happen? And, and what do you do in that? I case? personally have not actually had that happen. That's good. That's yeah. good. So it's, it, I think it's really important to be cognizant of where, of where it is. And if you're below the 10th rib, you should be fine. Yeah. And then any other complications to worry about? Other than, you know, bleeding and, you know, and, you know, sepsis, nothing. And these people are, you know, are not typically infected, right? Because they're, they're, they're non-dilated. So. Right. Uh, yeah. We really just, I mean, just really just worry about bleeding. Right. And, uh, and I guess ever seen, you know, a situation where there's been injury, you know, we talked about trying to avoid the colon, but yeah. injury to any other organs, you know? Yeah. I've not, I've not seen that personally, but I, and I think that really is one of the main points of safety when you're doing, you know, nephrostomy of, of any sort is being very cognizant of where the colon is and where other things are. And under, you know, under ultrasound, yeah, it, it can be a little bit hard to see a colon that's, you know, that is, is, you know, potentially decompressed in that, in that area. So. Right. Looking mm -hmm. at free procedural imaging is very important. And, uh, and also just being cognizant of, of, you know, what is between the skin and the kidney. Right. Oh. And, yeah. And with that, you know, a lot of times morbidly obese patients, it's, it's almost impossible to use ultrasound or it's very right. extremely limited. In those cases, even for the distended kidney, or do you guys find yourselves using DynaCT more often? O occasionally, but yeah. uh, it's really mostly for the, you know, the non-violent. The non-distended, yeah. Right. Because, you know, it, it involves anesthesia and it involves just a little more of a hassle, right? So. Right. Uh, and, you know, it, we, a lot of people don't have this, this capability, right? So, right. Uh, you know, we, we should probably talk about how, how you can do non-dilated systems if you don't have the magic of, of the, yes. uh, of the, of the software that will, you know, tell you how to guide your needle and, and the, and you basically have to create it yourself. So what I did before we, we got this system was ultrasound the patient first and plan a, a path into the kidney. Just, just under ultrasound, making sure there's nothing in the way, making sure that I'm hitting, you know, the right, the right part of the kidney. And, and then I will mark on the skin where I'm, I'm planning to, to stick. And then I actually put the, 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 the C arm in position so that I can stick down that, that path. So, you know, you tilt a little, you know, caudad, a little, you know, LAO if you're doing a left sided stick. And then, at that point, with everything ready to go, like the, you know, the 21 gauge needle in hand, that's when I give the, the, the contrast and the Lasix. And then, and at that point, you do have a very short or a relatively short window of time during which you're, you're able to stick, uh, because you do it on, you know, directly under fluoro, right? So you just intermittent fluoro until you see the, the calyx appear. It will get a little darker, a little bigger, and then you have to, stick definitively, but it's really just the same thing. I will fine tune the path by basically putting the, like a hemostat at the point I want to, I want to, I know I'm going to start out on the skin and then 
moving the II so that the that directly overlies the dilated and and newly apparent and opacified calyx. And then you and then I just stick straight down the the beam, parallel to the beam into the into that into that calyx. So I got you head on, like right down the right down the barrel, basically. Exactly. So you you're looking right down the right down the needle. Exactly. Yeah. I will always take a still shot as well because then you get a much better picture of what you're what you're sticking. But then but then actually stick under under floral, and then once you have, think you have made it there, then you have to bring the II to the lateral position, and you can tell whether you are through and through potentially, or you you're not quite there yet. But it will be you'll be very close. Right. Then you have to use your triangulation. It, exactly. Exactly. You're just, you're basically doing what the, the fancy Philips software does, does for you. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. can you know, do it yourself. But, you know, in that case, it's, you know, you do have to move relatively quickly because the contrast will empty out of the collecting system. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Have you ever had to re-inject? No, but. They certainly have not been in when the contrast has, has gone away. And in that case, you have to, you know, basically you're, you know, you're close, you know, your needle is close and then you just have to figure out exactly where you are and then, you know, kind of re-stick and, and right. inject a little bit of contrast, you know, again, not injecting too much yeah. uh, to obscure your path, but it's, it's, it's definitely a little, it's definitely more challenging than have the software, you know, do it for you. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like a lot of people don't have fancy software, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, you got to do it right, as uh, long as you fluoro, and you can give the patient the the, the IV contrast. The, the trick really is the IV contrast to opacify the system, and the Lasix to 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 pump it to pump it up. Uh, I'll give ten milligrams usually per side. Okay. So yeah. So in terms of um, the next step, once you get that needle where it needs to go, do you ever eject uh, air? Yeah, sometimes, especially if there's, you know, obscuration by previous attempts, that, that certainly helps. It also helps if you are not quite sure where you are and you, it looks like you're maybe you're not in, but air obviously is non-dependent, whereas contrast is heavier, right? So the patient's prone. So if you inject contrast, it's going to preferentially fill anterior calyces as opposed to posterior calyces. Right. Of, of course, you want to be in a posterior calyx. So air is... Is, is certainly good for that. Okay, gotcha. When you already have contrast in there. Yeah, when you already have contrast. Yeah. It'll give you a lot um, of, it's good for, it's good negative contrast. Yeah. Once you get access, get your, you know, your wire in. Now, yeah. there have been times where I've tried to, you know, I've got, I've stuck down, straight down on a stone, for example, right? Yeah. But the stone fills the collecting system mm -hmm. and I cannot get, you know, I know I'm in, but I can't get my wire to pass because it right. can't get around the crunchy stone. So what do you yeah. do in those kinds of cases? Uh, just keep trying and use different wires, <laughs> and, you know, make it be, uh, you know, just, you know, as uh, Phil Banovac used to say when I was training uh, with him, I say, you know, if something doesn't work, don't keep trying it. Try something else, right? So yeah, uh, just try a different wire. If you know, if you, if, if, I like, if you get your, if you, if you have enough stiff wire to get your acoustic set in, then you're, you, you can almost always get it, you know, glide wire, stiff glide. Uh, right. Or, right. Or whatever, you know, the, you know, O and eight nitrex, I think is, is really good for okay. getting past, getting past stones. You can also, if you are able to, once you're in, you know, you can, you can plump up the, 
the collecting system by just injecting more saline or contrast or both, right? Dilute contrast. You don't want to obscure your yeah. wire, but you can also, if you know that you're in, you can pump it up. Um, yeah, I think I've tried that with saline just so I don't obscure, you know, and just in case you're not, right. you know, all the way in is right. just... Because you'll, yep. you'll get that resistance, you know, it's kind of that feel right, you don't like, know similar to an arthrogram. Yeah. Right. It's like you, you kind of know if you're in or not, if you get, if, if you get that resistance or, or not. So yeah, I would always try a little bit of saline just mm -hmm. to create some space around the stone and exactly. then, and then try the wire again real quick. Right. And a couple of times I've actually gotten through a stone with the, like the NRAD needle or, um, whatever using it. And, and you know, if you're doing that for a urology axis, they don't usually, they don't usually mind that because you're just, you're just basically leaving them a pathway to get to the stone. They just need yeah. all that access to the bladder. Right. So if you go through a stone, it's not, they're, they're fine. You know, I certainly would say before I do any, you know, perk access for uh, like lithotripsy, I always make sure that I know exactly where the urologist wants to approach the stone. Yeah. So, you know, make sure everybody's on the same page about access point that's a that's a very good point starting out i made the mistake of not calling the urologist ahead of time and i would just put it where i would just put it where i thought they were wanting to go based on experience and then yeah. i got uh you know some, some angry phone calls and so right. you know i just made it and and i don't know some i've talked to irs about this everybody has different opinions on it but you know i just made it a policy like any of these stone ones for yeah. lithotripsy, I just call the urologist ahead of time, say, Hey, I'm looking at the CT right now. Yeah. Where would you like, where would you like this access? And Absolutely. usually they, they really appreciate you yeah. asking them. Absolutely. And you, you know, you develop relationships with them and then it's, you know, um, right. Everybody's, everybody's much hat. So yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, I, I think I had one or two cases early on in my career, you know, first starting out where I, I put it in the wrong place and, and, you know, I got thrown under the bus to the patient too. You know, the patient was not happy right. because the urologist right. said, Hey, the, the, the IR doc, you know, put, put the tube in the wrong place. You got to have this over again, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so that's never good either. So I think that covers it in terms of the procedure itself and kind yeah. of, you yeah, know, any kind of pearls and pitfalls. Yeah. Getting access. How about post-op care? You know, once you got the tube in, you uh, get them cleaned up. What What's to follow? Well, you know, we, we, um, we obviously check them. We've, you know, we follow them while they're, while they're in house, you know, make sure they're not, you know, bleeding, that their, their urine clears over, over time, that their output is what it should be. And then they are typically these are permanent tubes. And so they will come for every, you know, exchange every three months. And a lot of these patients who are, who need diversion because they have urine, you know, they have a, a radiation cystitis or they have a, a pelvic tumor or, or, or what have you and, and need really permanent diversion. We have been occluding the ureters either at the same time we get, you know, the first access or a, cu a couple of weeks later. And it's actually very, the moment you have access to the collecting system, it's, it's, it's quite straightforward. We've been using the, this EOS plug that is um, made by Argentive. And it's actually a vascular plug, but it comes in an 11 millimeter size that works very well for occluding ureters. It's very easy to deploy. We basically uh, get an amplex wire down down the ureter, and it goes in very nicely through a, um, a destination sheath, one of the terminal destination sheaths, a six French sheath, and we get that sheath right down to the you know the sort of two thirds of the way down the ureter, and and deploy the 
deploy this plug through the, you know, through the sheet. It, hmm. it, the two-step uh, process of uh, of deployment, and it, and it has a, a, almost like a like a nitinol spring that opens up, and it's a it's a PTFE covered. So it uh, it, it, it they're they're quite good at occluding ureters. So and that's just a, for the purpose of chronic diversion. Yeah, pe- you know, patients who have you know non-healing wounds because they have urinary leakage or you know perineal wounds, and who we you know are or we know are going to need really permanent urinary diversion. Neph tubes like will divert most of the flow, right? But especially if the patient is right. up, there's still path of least resistance flow down the ureters for some of the urine. So you know if if if, if simple diversion uh, is not enough, then ureteral occlusion can sort of finish the job. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh, typically one plug per side, and mm-hmm. it's a twenty minute thing, and you're done. Before the plugs, were people using coils for that or? You know, we're doing this uh, thing where we'd like cut the pinky off of a glove and shove it down the, <laughs> with an amplex. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it didn't work very well. It was very hard to deploy. It's like a much bigger sheath. So the, the, huh. the EOS plug is very That's much cool. much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the last question I have was, what should the expectation be in terms of the timing of clearing of the urine? Like, when should you be worried? Um Right, when it doesn't clear. Yeah, I would be, you know, if, if it's not clearing, I would, you know, make sure you're, you're checking the hemoglobin, right? And then see if the hemoglobin is, is falling at all. If it's not falling, then I, I wouldn't be too, too worried about it. But if it's, you know, if, it, if there's a, you know, a, a steady drop, then I'd be worried about a pseudoaneurysm or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you just do a C, CTA or, or, you know, some actual, you know, do a, if, if we're really worried, you know, you do a, actual renal angiography with the tube, if you, you know, you got to pull the tube out, right? Kind of like, right. The, like right. biliary. Exactly. The same, same kind of thing. But, you know, in almost all cases, it, it clears after, you know, a couple of days. Okay. So. Well, that was pretty much it. Do you, I questions for me. Do you have anything to add for, you know, the trainee or any young people out there that's, uh, any other pitfalls to avoid? I typically will do, you know, s- standard nephrostomies with the 21 gauge needle and then an 018 wire and then an X to conversion to an 035 wire, I think it'd be fine to do a, you know, dilate, a very dilated percnef in a not very fat patient with a, like a 19 gauge in red needle and then go straight to an 035 system, especially if you are, you know, really in a rush, right? So you don't necessarily have to go, you know, conversion from 018 to 035, but certainly that's, you know, the way I train and probably, yeah. Well. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the the obese patient with the, the with that dilator. I mean, you just want you got to have a track, you know, in steady track to go over. But yeah, in a, in a skinny patient and they're septic, and you just want to get a tube in real quick. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Then that's I mean, that's how I do. Um, you know, per coles, right? In nineteen gauge. Right. Right. Two or three five. All right. Well, that's about wraps things up, and uh, we really appreciate having you on, David. Thanks for having. Um, nice yeah, to talk. No, <laughs> always. Definitely good to catch up for, for our listeners. Again, you can find all prior episodes uh, on uh, you know iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher, basically any podcast platform that's out there, we have our, our podcast on. So it should be pretty easy to find. You can also look on our website, backtable.com, and we actually have a new web app that has a lot of procedure information, including nephro- how to place a nephrostomy tube. 
So please check that out. And uh, we're, we're adding to it weekly. Thanks again. And uh, everybody have a great day. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. <laughs>